The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm joined this week by my good friend, basically like, co-host of this episode of this podcast whenever he wants to be on greg smith greg hello how are you hello uh, i'm well um i'm hanging in there man like it, it's a time like this is supposed to be the off season but there has been no slowdown like at all no no <laughs> um alex showed me something yesterday we're recording this on a thursday so yesterday we had sun outside and that was the second time in the last month and a half that we've had a sunny day here in chicago yeah, we we were on we we're on a very similar streak here in Nebraska where I was very much complaining yesterday that we can't have back to back sunny days like it's raining yeah. again yeah. here. Um, I think we're supposed to get I think it's supposed to be sunny tomorrow then back to rain. So it's, it's constant rain. It's incredible because um, I, a, some engineer, some architect, I don't know who designs like parking lot layouts for a place, but somebody needs to like get their license revoked because the parking lot on the south side of our apartment complex is like sloped and there's no drain installed. And so when it rains, if it rains for an extended period of time and it got the worst that I've seen it um, this week, the water level completely flooded the, like was above the curb flooded into the grass area and around a tree, but it was up to like the bottom of the door jam of like an SUV that was parked in the, like the furthest spot to the right, closest to the curb, Hmm. like to the point where I was like, I feel like we need to call somebody because they're going to have water damage seeping in through the, like the door jam. Like I was worried about it. It's like, we've gotten that much rain and that little sun. And yet I'm still having a wonderful time, Greg, because we got, (laughs) we got a really good finale of moon Knight. I don't know if you've watched it, so I won't say anything more. (laughs) I have not yet. (laughs) Uh, as of we're recording this Thursday, uh, the Doctor Strange premieres Thursday night. The goat and I are going um, late Thursday night. I'm excited about that. I got a new pair of Kobe's that we were talking about before we jumped on this podcast nope. that I am ecstatic over. And, and, and we got some incredibly positive news for Nebraska football. And so that, is why, that is why I have you here <laughs> because we're going to talk about the transfer commitment of former TCU edge rusher. O'Shawn Mathis, who picked Nebraska over stupid, stupid Texas, the hometown Longhorns. Greg, um, let's just start. Why did this happen? How did this happen? Yeah, so, man, there's a lot there because it's funny that you mentioned the stupid, stupid Longhorns um, because seeing the reaction from not only Texas fans, like it is not just their fans, Texas media um, was actually really funny to me. Like I found that to be hilarious, like how upset they were that Oshan would dare pick Nebraska um, as if they don't 
understand what Nebraska football is um, in a general sense. I just found that weird. So on how this actually happened, um, Nebraska, when Oshawn Mathis went into the portal, really, I think it was towards, was it at the end of the football season or back in January? Like I think bowl games were happening. Like mid-January. Yeah, so it was mid-January. And it, it, that's a while, right? Like for a, especially for a high-profile guy yeah. uh, that was rated as what, the number one player in the transfer portal when he committed, um, an edge rusher who had produced at TCU, mm-hmm. um, had been a two-time uh, second-team All-Big 12 selection. Um, for a guy of that pedigree, his recruitment lasting this long is kind of an anomaly, right? Like you typically, especially now, see these big time guys go into the portal they say you know thank you to the current team yada yada and then the next day they've got a team lined up seemingly right because you know tampering doesn't happen in college tampering. yeah um, and so and so that to me made this really interesting and the build-up for it was just so big because not only did we get that there wasn't this huge like he went on a huge visit spree where he saw teams from around the country and took a whole bunch of visits I, to my my knowledge, he only visited Nebraska and Texas. He obviously took the Nebraska official visit um, for their spring game in April. He took Texas official visit uh, for their spring game after the Nebraska one and also took a couple other unofficial trips uh, over to, to UT's campus. He's in town. You can do that, right? He's just down the road. Um, and so because of that and those three visits and because traditionally you would think a guy from Austin who had already played in the Big 12 would just pick Texas, right? They have the same need that Nebraska had for an edge rusher and Nebraska's edge rusher problem is now spanning multiple coaches you think okay it makes sense so you kind of wrote it off well things kind of started to turn I would say the last week of this recruitment kind of leading up to his Saturday announcement like I start to hear, hey, I, I, Nebraska's actually in it. Like Nebraska sources are saying, we feel pretty good about this. And I was like, well, I, uh, sure. Like it's always tough when you hear that from people with the school that stand to benefit, right? Because you're just like, well, are you guys just being overly optimistic or what's happening here? Trying to but soften then- the public blow. Yeah, like so, I'm just I'm I'm, just, I'm thinking, okay, I, we'll see. So then it, it just you keep hearing it, I keep hearing it, and then the thing that I, the two factors of the reason why that really started to emerge, especially really late in the week, was a Nebraska stepped up their NIL package offerings, whatever that means, and we can go there with with what like the number of th- ways you can go with that, and that Nebraska was really able to hammer home and sell that playing in the Big Ten. And getting Oshaw Mathis ready for the NFL draft next year, which is what he wants to do. He wants to be, he's going to play one more year and then be off to the NFL. Doing that in the Big Ten is the way for him to best get there versus the Big 12. And I think that that was really bolstered by the the fact that his decision came during the NFL draft. So he's sitting here watching a Big 10 player getting selected. Texas doesn't have any players that get selected. Nebraska had three, right? Um, You see uh, edge rushers and defensive linemen from the Big 10 consistently getting drafted. You Oh, by the way, on the flip side of that, you see a lot of Big 10 offensive linemen. So you know you're going to get um, your skill sharpened and tested against Big Ten offensive linemen. And I think that those two factors, that the increased NIL package, um, despite what you're starting to hear, you know, from I think Mathis's camp about, oh, that didn't play as big of a role. Fine, we can say that, um, but it definitely had a role. That and playing in the Big Ten to get ready for the NFL draft next year were the two huge factors in how this got done. Yeah, call me jaded, but if if we're going through a recruitment process and signs are pointing one direction and then a week before commitment signs start to point a different direction 
my brain goes nil. Yeah, because it's it, it it continues to happen. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if you saw Deion Sanders did an interview with two four seven Sports Carl Reed this this week, I think, um, where he said like his message to his players is NFL, not nil. Focus on future earnings and maximizing what you can make in the league. And Steve Mark has a story on HailRC.com that is basically that that Oshan says that he's focused on getting to the NFL. And like for, I mean, it was perfect timing for Nebraska. Texas goes without a, a draft pick. And like, like, first of all, is Texas, did Texas and Texas A&M swap places? Like, has that it, happened? It feels like that, right? Like it, it just like feels like reached that point. It, it definitely does. And then you, I think it was, I'm trying to really quickly pull it up because Dan Wetzel put out a thing and I quote tweeted it. Texas, the state of Texas had 32, 32. players drafted. Yeah. None of them came from Texas, the University the, of Texas. The most interesting part of that actually was that the state of Georgia had more players drafted than the state of California, yeah. which if you break it down on like a per capita, like players drafted per capita, that's, that's, that is the shift in college football right there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, back to Mathis. So Nebraska gets this guy. Um, we can talk about NIL later if you want to. I mean, I, it, I feel like it, it happened. Like to say that it didn't happen is, is maybe a little disingenuous, but I, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. Um, I complained about it last week. I don't want to complain about NIL anymore because <laughs> I don't know how many people appreciated or thought that that was disingenuous. Um, I would like to talk. This does not feel like a player that Nebraska has had in a long time. Like this is a player that at least in my four and a half years covering the team or whatever it was, they didn't have a player like this. And this is not a, you know, this is not a Jojo Doman replacement. This is not, I mean, he's not, he's not, it's not Caleb Tanner. Um, I looked through, I mean, in his four years with TCU, he played 984 snaps as a pass rusher. Hmm. He played 66 snaps in coverage in four years. Caleb Tanner last year played 56 snaps in coverage. So, like, this is a player that they haven't had before. And, like, in your piece on HailVarsity.com where you're talking a little bit about what this means for Nebraska, you mentioned that it doesn't soften the blow of losing a guy like Casey Rogers on the defensive line. And while I agree with you that they still need to kind of figure out some depth on the defensive line because they've lost Casey Rogers, they've lost Jordan Riley, they've lost a couple other guys who, who departed the program earlier. Um, like, this is going to be a guy that is going to be – setting the edge as a run stopper and rushing the passer. He's not going to be a guy playing in coverage. He's not going to be a traditional outside linebacker. He is going to he, six foot five, 257 pounds. He is the guy that they have been looking for and that they hoped four years ago when Caleb Tanner got to campus, they could build Caleb Tanner up into, but you know, you've seen what happened with that. You know, he's just not putting on weight and that's fine. He was a productive player for them. Right. But like, I kind of, I kind of think they still, they still need, uh, maybe one or two more defensive linemen to come out of the portal. And like, you know, it's, it's not something that I'm too terribly worried about because if you've got space to add a guy and you're interested in adding a guy, like you have said, Nebraska is with all the players on the portal, you're going to find a guy, like you're right. going to be able to add a guy. It's just a matter of, is that guy going to be comparable to what you lost with Casey Rogers? Maybe, I don't know. But then you're hoping that somebody like Nash Hutmacher uh, Colton Feast, you know, some of those other guys along the defensive line make a little bit of development. But like O'Shawn Mathis, you add him to what they have on the edge. He is a kind of pass rusher that 
that, that they haven't had. I mean, he's gotten over the course of his career, you know, he, he averaged uh, a pressure every 10 snaps last year. And it was a little bit better clip in 2020. He had 14 tackles for loss in 2020 and nine sacks. That was his best year. Um, Garrett Nelson had 11 and a half tackles for loss last year. Caleb Tanner had five and a half. That three-man rotation gives you a lot of flexibility because they're three different players. Like, that's very interesting to me. Yeah, it's really interesting to me, especially knowing kind of how Nebraska um, has tried to utilize and morph the different pieces on the defense. Like, like this way, like JoJo Doman and Nebraska figuring out what to do with him. I don't think that every defensive coordinator and every coaching staff would make that work as well as Nebraska did last year, if that makes sense. Like sometimes, and what I mean by that is sometimes coaches feel like you have to have players in a very specific rigid role within the defense. And we're not going to try to go outside of that to figure it out and how to best utilize that player's skill set. I thought they did that well with Doman and kind of created this JoJo Nickel to the point where now we're trying to figure out who's going to be the next JoJo Nickel, and it's probably going to turn out that, that there just isn't one, right? And then they're going to have to play it a little bit differently. But what that actually gives me confidence that Nebraska will figure out a way on how to mix and match the pieces that they now have. Because I think you can see a scenario – where and it feels like they've been telling the the last two additions here for kind of the defensive line pass rush role um, between Mathis and Devin Drew, who also committed this week out of the portal Texas Tech transfer, that they're going to be playing more four man front. And if they're going to be doing if they're actually going to do that, and they did do it last year, like it, it feels like that's something that has like become this big thing around here. But in fact, they have been playing a lot of four man front um, in recent years. But if they're going to do that, it opens up, I think, even more possibilities to be able to get both Nelson, Mathis and then Tanner in, on the field at the same time, especially in third down situations. I also think this is not, you know, what we necessarily came here for that. I think that inside that linebacker group. If you end up playing like Tanner, uh, Reimer, and Henrich as your three linebackers, and then you have Nelson and Mathis as your defensive ends, like I think that that can be an interesting combination. Like I just think that there's a lot of things and possibilities that get opened up um, by now having Mathis on the team. And that's kind of why the remo- I mean, like when you talk to Eric Schnander, especially when we talked to Eric Schnander early on when the staff got to Nebraska. People would ask him about his three four and the kind of the the way that he wanted to play, and they would all they would all the questions would always mention three four, and he would always make a point to say we're not a three four defense, we're a multiple defense. He would say it all the time. Like the last couple of weeks have been pretty good to Nebraska's coaching staff. Yeah, a high school quarterback who was turned into a cornerback was drafted as a day two pick. A high school tight end who was turned into an offensive lineman was drafted as a day two pick. And now they got this guy who was one of the, the the biggest targets in the portal to come to Nebraska and, and you know, issue a, a sort of seal of approval of Nebraska's coaching staff. But, you know, and that's two years in a row now. They've gotten a guy with NFL aspirations to say, I want to play there. Talking about Samori Toure last year. Yep. Um, that's good. That's I mean, that you know, that's that's not nothing. That's that's a good sign. Um, so, you know, if if players have faith in this coaching staff's ability to kind of make the pieces work, then, you know, we should have a little bit of faith in their ability to make the pieces work. And especially on the defensive side of the ball, because they have, they have found a way to make what they have work. 
Yeah, they definitely have. And I think that that this also there's a nice trickle down effect for now, both um, the recent additions of you mentioned kind of Hutmacher and Feast um, and their development. Now it kind of it takes a little bit of pressure off of them. Like I feel like this way every time Nebraska adds a quality um, body up front, it takes a little bit of pressure off of all of those guys. Right. Because otherwise, what would the topic be? And it was kind of, it kind of was coming out of spring, which is, oh, man, I don't know how they're going to do because they just have no experience up front on the defensive line. Like we think that, you know, we've seen Colton Feaster heard about him doing good things in practice. Like it felt like he was on his way was that last year before he got hurt to really being in the rotation. We know that Hotmacher is super strong, right? And we, we think that he's going to be a player that ascends, but he, there just needs to be a little bit of a gap bridged in there to be able to really get him to the point to where he's like a, a, a player that you count on a whole lot. And I think that every time they add someone, it helps those guys that much more because they don't have to be the guy they can kind of naturally come into that rotational piece which can overall make the defense better because it just gives you more quality bodies to have out there can I- there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you coming and when you get access to resi priority notify with your amex platinum card hey this looks amazing i'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. I push back a little on that. Sure. Because they need interior defensive linemen still. I think Mathis's commitment takes pressure off of Jamari Butler and Blaze Gunnarsson to not have to be, you know, because w- without Mathis, you've got Caleb Tanner, you've got Garrett Nelson, you probably want a third. And that third is gonna, would, would have to come from Blaze Gunnarsson or Jamari Butler. Now it's like, well, you can kind of take your time somewhat. I mean, you can kind of take your time and try to insulate yourself a little bit from injury. But I, I don't want to see O'Shawn Mathis playing like inside when they, when they pinch their ends in. I don't want to see that with O'Shawn Mathis. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Like, I, and, and sorry, I did not mean to say that he was the one providing relief to be able to have that trickle-down effect. I meant Devin Drew. Like, the, okay. the, the commitment of Devin Drew. And I'm, uh, again, with you, that they're still going to need one or two more guys, and I think they are going after one or two more guys to come in in the interior of that defensive line um, because you, you just need more in there like you can't because i think that with with devin drew coming in i think that he's in line to start next to ty robinson um but you're still gonna need at least one more guy 
to, to come in and help sure up that rotation because they're still very thin uh, on the interior defensive line. I think that that's where the majority of the focus of their portal efforts are going to be from here on out. Yeah, because we've heard a lot about Colton Feast over the last couple of years, but that is, correct me if I'm wrong with the numbers, but that's a 6'2", 290 interior defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, former walk-on, I believe. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, that that's a little, like... You know, it makes me a little nervous just in terms of size, especially going against Big Ten offensive linemen on the interior. Um, it's definitely but it's not... funny, he's about the same size as Devin Drew then. It's That's not... about what he's listed at. But that also makes you think, like if they, if that guy, if you're 6'2", 290, right, you're traditionally playing, if you're playing on the inside, you're playing more of that 4-3 defensive tackle role, Right. Like they maybe just have bodies that fit more of that when it comes to that interior defensive line. What was Casey Rogers' measurement? Do you know off the top of your head? I do not know off the top of my head, but they had him playing inside whatever. He did. He, he was uh, looking at his, at his snap breakdown. They had him playing sort of in that 4 3 alignment. He was playing, you know, defensive tackle. Now, I do think that to your point about not wanting to see Oshawn Mathis inside, I think that it absolutely was part of the pitch that, hey, we will not put you inside, that we will let you be on the edge um, creating havoc and making those money plays. Like, I, I do think that that was a major part of the pitch um, because Nebraska does have this weird tendency to take those guys and put them inside and want to do weird stuff like that. Like, just leave him on the edge and let him do what he does. Yeah. Casey Casey Rogers was 6'5", 295, so same poundage but a little bit taller i mean you know i, I guess i get where I, I like i don't want to like poo poo colton feast because they obviously like him because we keep hearing about him but you know like like we've said i would like to see another another body for the interior along the defensive line because you know it's not they don't they don't have damian daniels on the roster no which man they could that <laughs> they could use him and he could be there um yeah. but he is not then they, they got to move on yeah do you feel like how how good how good the scale of one to ten how good do you feel about the the three man rotation at that outside linebacker edge rusher position with Oshan Mathis Garrett Nelson Caleb Tanner? Um, yeah, pretty good. I think that that's a real. I think that's a strong group. I would say seven and a half, eight. I would say eight. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I would say eight. Like that's a legit group. Especially because the thing that and we like we so much uh, is talked about Garrett Nelson and his improvement last year and what he looked like in the spring game, albeit uh, against a suspect offensive line like he has definitely improved and I've not taken anything away from him. But I think all of the talk about his improvement is at the expense of the talk of Caleb Tanner's improvement. I think that Caleb Tanner really got better last year and showed some really good stuff. Um, And I think that he is just a couple of like finishing those plays away from people being like, oh, he actually was really good, right? And and I think that his improvement as a player has been a, a really underrated factor of what's happening there. Um, and I think part of that, too, is because Caleb came in with so much fanfare, being a four-star kid from Georgia um, who had previously been committed to the in-state Georgia Bulldogs, and he ends up at Nebraska, and you think, uh-oh, this is that, that hybrid guy on the outside that teams in the SEC have. And then he just didn't turn into that right away, right? And so I think he's a little bit weighed down by those expectations um but he was a productive player last year yeah it's 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 kind of you know that that conversation development is never linear like we expect it to be Mm -hmm. um and like there was that 
I think it was going into his junior year, like that spring where we got the quote from Eric Chenander where like, you're about to be a junior. If it hasn't clicked by now, it's not going to click and it's time to move on or, or something like I'm paraphrasing yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, Garrett Nelson, Garrett Nelson was good. I like Garrett Nelson. And when you are, when you like work as hard as Garrett Nelson works, you're going to get better and better and better. And he's gotten better and better and better. But it, I, did, I think I think you're right. It definitely has maybe overshadowed a little bit the development in Caleb Tanner's game. And this, adding a player like this, should only help him more. Because if you are able, like you suggested, to get all three of those guys on the field, that'll that'll help Caleb Tanner a lot. Yeah, it absolutely should. And I think that, I think that that man, that's I think that's really interesting to have a point. Um, and one of the things that I've I've said this week too, in a couple of places, is that if you can find a way to get all three of those guys on the field and really start to affect offensive coordinators and then also these opposing quarterbacks because you're not going to face like this murderer's row of quarterbacks in the Big Ten especially in the Big Ten West like what I would love who am I I scared of Spencer Petras right so what I would love to see is what happens if Nebraska actually makes those guys uncomfortable right because you and you've seen it you watch enough Big Ten football to know this when you watch teams like not play Nebraska and you see them and you see like Spencer Petras and he's like flustered in the pocket or whoever the Illinois quarterback is out there like you see him Flustered, and then you're like, well, wait a second. He's now. You look up, and he's eight for twenty-two. But when they play against Nebraska, they have so much time that they end up looking better than they do. Like, I want to see what happens if that flips for Nebraska, right? And and I think that that is part of a larger conversation of how Nebraska can be as not. As, I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were last year on defense because they were just so stout because they had a, such a good blend of experience and talent on last year's defense. But they do have a chance to be like as explosive and have as many like big plays and increase the takeaways right because if you can actually affect the quarterback that will help out that secondary which is also in transition is talented and i think they will be very talented but are they do need some more experience it'll help those guys out a lot if you can put some pressure on these quarterbacks i think the natural progression when you start talking about like well if nebraska plays more four three and puts garrett nelson and mathis and tanner on the field at the same time what does that look like for their linebackers and coverage um, and we've mentioned Jojo Doman a couple times. He was like one of the best coverage linebackers in the big 10 last year. If I, if I remember like PFF grading correctly, um, he was an excellent tool for them in that regard as a, as a hybrid kind of cover guy. Um, they also had Cam Taylor Britt, the, 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 I guess the counter to like, well, are they going to be as good in coverage if they've got some linebackers who aren't very good in coverage, who aren't as fleet footed as, as Jojo Doman is the counter to that is it might not matter if, you know, you've got Nelson or Mathis come screaming off the edge and the quarterback is flushed out of the pocket. Like, because it, it, you know, maybe they've gone backwards where the coverage has been really good, but they haven't had an elite pass rush and the coverage has been good in spite of not having an elite pass rush. Right. They can get not an elite, but a better pass rush. Like that's what, you know, Travis Fisher has been talking about. Like there's a symbiotic relationship between how good your coverage is and how good your pass rush is. If you've got, you know, if you need a, some time for a secondary to gel or for a secondary to kind of get some comfort, which Nebraska is going to need, like, the best aid in that development is a really good pass rush. And so if you can get Nelson on one side and Mathis on the other, and you can put significant pressure on a quarterback with just a four man rush, that is a recipe for defensive success. 
Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I wonder if it, it does it end up looking a little bit different because you've got to in some of those third downs, are you going to have to take one of those linebackers off the field and actually put a nickel back in like an actual like what we typically think of as a nickel back, not the Nebraska Jojo nickel um, to get an extra cornerback on the field. Like, I just think that we're starting to have the, the defense had a lot of questions this spring and, and rightfully so, but they're starting to take shape a little bit in what you kind of could see it end up being used still got to put it together and it's going to be it's not going to be an easy challenge I don't think to put it together but I I think that they have the personnel especially because some of these guys coming in are experienced right and I think even in the guys that you may have like a little bit of a role change or shift for those linebackers like a Tanner or Henrich or Reimer like those are also guys that have played a lot of football so they should be able to make some of those small transitions um, a little bit easier than, than maybe if we were breaking in a lot more young players on that second level. Real quick point on NIL. There are a lot of schools around the country that are feeling very uneasy about the the landscape that we're moving towards with regards to NIL's influence on recruiting, NIL collectives. I think the SEC commissioner and the Pac-12 commissioner are going to uh, Washington to talk to Congress about that. Like, like there's a lot of legitimate angst over what's going on. Um, until there are changes, like this is the environment that we have and the teams that, that best utilize all the cards in their hand are going to benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like when, when the rules are loosely defined, you can't get mad at, at, at specifically teams for operating within gray areas. Um, not saying Nebraska did that, but Nebraska's got to feel at least better than a lot than a lot of other places right now as it looks at the recruiting landscape and says, you know what? We got the resources to play this game if we have to play this game. And math is committing to them. Whether NIL was a big deal or not reaffirms that. I mean, like they're going to be able to – they went up against Texas – and they took a kid from Texas, from Texas. They took him from Texas. He it was at a hometown school, played at TCU, like you said, played in the Big 12, had familiarity. His head coach at TCU was on the Texas staff, and he comes to Nebraska. They got to feel, feel good about where they are and their ability to recruit with anybody in the country. And I guess my question for you is, with, with the NIL situation, do they maybe feel better? They should. Nebraska can compete with anyone in the country when it comes to the whole NIL game, if that's going to be a part of recruiting. And that's why I think this sets up a fascinating kind of juxtaposition of athletic directors on one hand probably are feeling uneasy about where this is going and how rapidly this is all happening. But on the other hand, you've got a group, you should have a group of athletic directors that are like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I don't know if this is the worst thing. Maybe we need to put some guardrails in place where maybe we have a transfer period or maybe we crack down a little bit more on tampering, but maybe we should let these collectives happen. It's great for the student athlete because what incentive does Trev Alberts have for saying, let's do away with collectives and let's get boosters out of college athletics or out of what they are right now. Like they've always been a part of it. Let's not kid ourselves, but what, what's happening now is a little different. Trev Alberts should have very little incentive to say that. The athletic director, forgive me, I don't know his name, at Northwestern should probably be 
a little anti-NIL collectives in the whole thing, right? Like there's a difference. And that's why I think this is going to be such a fascinating thing to see play out because reform in some way is coming. But I don't know if every school is going to be out here saying, hey, let's pull this all the way back. I think there's going to be a middle ground where some like where um, like athletic directors at bigger schools that can't afford this are going to say, let's find a middle ground to where we can still do this, but put better rules in place. But I think that Nebraska is greatly positioned to continue to go. And I would argue that Nebraska continue, it, like starts winning. This is only going to get better for them or worse, depending on your point of view. Yeah, I think it, you know, in in a sense of like you want to remain cordial with your peers <laughs> yeah big 10 athletic director meetings things like that you want to kind of save face a little bit you know you play along you're like yeah sure yeah i agree with you yeah i think we need guardrails definitely but in the back of your mind you're thinking you know i'm not going to push too hard for this because it's not exactly hurting me right now um the point you made about like nebraska being one of those quote unquote big schools that's going to be able to play this game if you had asked people a year ago name the schools that if if we just get full-blown free agency name the programs that are going to rise to the the top i don't think a ton of people are saying nebraska nebraska was probably saying now hold on wait a minute because they were one of the first programs around the country to embrace nil and this is why (laughs) but like if you had asked people a year ago would you include Nebraska in the the list of quote unquote big name schools that are going to be able to play this game? I don't think a ton of people outside of the state would have said, yeah, but now. Yeah. There are two. Sorry. Go Go ahead. Go ahead. There are two schools that I feel like people a year ago would have never mentioned except for the fan bases of those schools, Nebraska and Arkansas. Arkansas is the other school that fits into this category, though they have not historically won as much, that has just a lot of oddly deep-pocketed alums and has a real passion for college football. Um, and you've seen, we've seen some of the reporting around the different collectives um, that they're trying to put together. I think it's the Tyson family of, of the Tyson chicken that you probably have in your freezer. Like Those people, like they're big into Arkansas football and graduated from there um and i think it's hunt the hunt catch-up people um and so (laughs) they've got a different thing going on yeah the market on lunch yeah they really did like it's really interesting how arkansas did that but those to me are the two schools that people really haven't seen coming um that have done really well with this uh but yeah like i I think the nebraska is really well positioned long term to be able to do this and i think it is surprising to people and you saw this circling all the way back to what we started off talking about with oshawn mathis you saw that in the reaction from the texas people they're like what is what how does nebraska have nil money like what are they selling uh, well there's a lot of people with a lot of vested interest in nebraska football which and that's the point that i that i kind of just like laugh at because i'm like the people who have long held the 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 dumb narrative the anti-nebraska recruiting narrative that what is there to do in nebraska well there's nebraska football if right. you subscribe to the belief that there's nothing else to do in Nebraska than focus on Nebraska football, then you shouldn't have been surprised when NIL comes rolling around and all of a sudden Nebraska has deep pockets because a lot of people care about this program and there's not a ton of competition in the state. Right. No, there there isn't. And, it is, and it's people that one of the things, too, is that there's a lot of like business owners and you know how you see it like and you've been here like, you know, like think about all of the amount, the number of businesses that try to have Husker in their name 
right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's like that everywhere else. I suspect it is not. But there are a lot of businesses out there that do that. And that just goes to show you, like, the business community's tie to Nebraska football and how people feel about Husker football. Like, I, I just think that it, it was one of those things that we all saw coming, but people outside of the state, like, I think quickly poo-pooed it, but are now starting to realize. It. And something that I've, I've written this week on Varsity is that I think that just the perception of Nebraska being willing to play the NIL game and willing to like be able to help student athletes get additional revenue and money will help them in recruiting. Like just having the perception out there that, oh yeah, they'll go out and get an O'Shawn Mathis. Like Casey Thompson wants to go out and say that he got six figures. That's great. That's more publicity for us. Like I just think that it just continues to feed itself because oh, by the way, when Casey Thompson said that, who quote tweeted that? O'Shawn Mathis. People notice those sort of recruits notice those sorts of things. And it's, it's just a fascinating thing to see play out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Yeah. Now you got me thinking about businesses that have Husker in the name. And I'm thinking about how <laughs> growing up like Husker hounds was just like always in my brain. Yeah. We would always go to Husker hounds, especially Christmas time and like pick stuff out. And when I moved to Oklahoma, there's like nothing in Oklahoma like that. Like I'm trying to think of a place that would like outside of on campus. I can't think of a place that would be like sooner focused apparel there's a, there's so many places that have there's so many places there yeah. are those those apparel places there's like vintage stuff there's like it's just all like it, there's a lot <laughs> just a lot of them random random aside um what does this do in in your in your mind like does this move the needle a half game not at all in terms of like win total like what do you think that this specific commitment is worth in terms of like projecting how Nebraska does this season. Cause like, I think if the win total is like seven and a half, like does this move the needle at all? Like, does it, do you give it like a quarter of a win, a half a win, a full win? You think they, they now should be like eight and a half, nine. Like, does this move the needle at all for you in terms of you know, like we get, we get uh win shares in basketball. It's a stat that we can kind of measure out. Like I don't right. ever seen win shares in football, but if you had to just like put a number to it with O'Shawn Mathis, does he have a, a like a, 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 
not negligible win share number. That's a terrible way to say that. It's so tough because it's dangerous to say, oh, if Nebraska just had this guy in some of those one score losses or those third downs that you can picture where, excuse me, where it's third and long and Nebraska couldn't get off of the field. And that happens a couple of times a game. If they can just get off of the field that one more time, that ends up being the difference in a one score loss, right? It's tough to do that. And that transitive property doesn't always go. But because we've seen that, it makes you feel like an Osha Mathis could be a real difference maker for Nebraska. And that to put a win, maybe a win to it. Um, because there, because if you just think about it to me, there has there's going to be one game if he plays the way that he played at TCU, there's going to be one game where he's kind of unconscious and he's got a few sacks, right? Like that, that game feels realistic for him to have, then whether or not it's against like a Northwestern or it's, you know, what Nebraska fans are like against an Iowa, like those are the types of things that can really flip a game and can really get your momentum going, can really like jumpstart your team. So I do think that a win a win is probably worth what he's worth, which I feel like is a lot <laughs> that, that's yeah. for a single player. We have heard for years, like they need that player, like, like that player away. And that player is the, the pass rushing edge rusher that like every team in the country wants. And for years we've talked about like they need that player and then it makes other things work. I, I mean, I think there's definitely some value in saying like if they had that kind of player and probably projecting a little bit because you don't know how like big 12 production translates to the big 10 better offensive line play things like that um but like that that kind of player um you could look at all the one score games that nebraska lost and find some situations where you insert that player in and he makes a couple of plays and maybe something flips i think what's i i think you know one of his benefits is going to be when nebraska is playing a team like Illinois, a team like Northwestern, a team like Purdue, where they've either got a a significant to moderate talent advantage over the, their opponent, but they're just not really able to create any separation because they can't really create any like explosive plays or momentum changing plays. If you have now this kind of player that can create on defense momentum plays, then all of a sudden you can try to string some of those together and then you can create that separation between yourself and the team that you are so clearly better than. But Nebraska in years past hasn't been able to create that separation because it just doesn't seem like they've been able to make enough. They've been able to string together enough of those, you know, game changing momentum changing plays. Whereas now if you've got this guy that can be a, um, a consistent force off the edge, and, and provide you with a consistent pass rush, a consistent kind of pressure guy. Um, I, you know, I think that that's an area where he can really like, you know, if we had, if we had defensive win share numbers in, in football, like that's an area where he would really shine. I mean, he, you know, for the last three years, he's had 30 pressures every year. So like 30, <laughs> 33 in 2019, 33 in 2020 and 30 in 2021, according to PFS numbers. So like, Sign yourself up for 30. That's what you're going to get. If you insert that into this defense, it elevates them so much. Like it just, it really does. It's hard to explain. And and part of the reason why I think it's hard to explain is because we haven't, like we haven't seen it, right? Like I think not having that in this defense and knowing what the exact trickle down effect can be, um, 
it, that's going to make it to me. It, and it also just it makes the team so much more interesting to me now. Like I just think that like it, it elevates the ceiling and it gives them a real opportunity um, to let some of these other guys shine too. Because I do think that the guy that should have been the happiest about this news when it came out was Garrett Nelson. Yeah. And I was just about to say, Garrett Nelson had 32 pressures last year. You got one on either side now. Right. That makes both better. Um, optimistic five and two start. You can get there. Five and two. Yeah. I mean, I need to see it. I mean, let me say with the caveat that, <laughs> that like, I, I feel like that should be in the realm of possibility, but boy, we need to see it. Like, optimistic five and two. And, you know, just based on, I had the schedule and for some reason it's not in front of me anymore. Just based on the way it starts, like you don't really want to have a losing record or a 500 record through your first six games. No. Um, Oklahoma is going to be interesting. They, I, I don't know if you saw CBS Sports put out a, an updated like post-spring top 25. It had Oklahoma fourth. Fourth in, that. The, in the country? In the country, yeah, in the country. Oof. Boy, I don't the, the fact that. that that's where your brain went. And yeah, not, you were like fourth in the Big 12, right? Not fourth yeah. in the country. Like, yeah, fourth in the country. Like, I could see. I mean, I could, you could legitimately put them fourth in the Big 12 yeah. season right now. And I wouldn't argue too much with you. Yeah, seeing what they look like is just going to be really interesting. Like, I have no, like, no idea what that's going to be like. And they're, they're one of those, they'll be one of those teams, too. They're like, if they start well. You could see them riding a wave, but if things go poorly to begin with, you could see them kind of coming apart, especially with all the player departures and all of this stuff. Like that's going to be a, a just a fascinating thing to watch unfold. Yeah, they got a really high variance, so it's yeah. good for Nebraska <laughs> to be able to play them early in the season. Yes, better to play them early than late. Yeah, Greg, that's all I got for you today, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, that's thanks fun. for having me. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, anybody listening to this that wants more? O'Shawn Mathis conversation, more Nebraska football conversation, or just wants to hear Greg talk a little bit more because it's it's always a joy. Um, Greg has his own podcast, the Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Go subscribe to that wherever you listen to podcasts. Give him a review, a five-star rating. Do the same for this show if you haven't already. Um, make sure you're reading HillVarsity.com. Make sure you're reading all of Greg's content. We referenced a couple of of pieces on the website that you can go read during this episode. Make sure you're reading everything, HillVarsity.com. Go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe so that you can make sure that you get access to everything and the magazine. If you're going there, if you're signing up, use the promo code varsity and get a little bit off. And uh, yeah, that was fun. We'll we'll hope for some more sun. We'll hope for, for less rain and one or two more defensive line commits from the transfer portal as, uh, as things start to settle a little bit. I'm happy that it's starting to settle a little bit. We reached May 1st. Nobody else is jumping into the portal and getting immediate eligibility. Probably going to see some, but not a ton. Getting to, we're, we're getting getting to football season. It's May. We're only a couple months away. We're getting there. We're going to hit uh, media days here soon in the next, next few months. So we're getting there. We're getting through the summertime. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Hoda Media Production.